Welcome to the Bullpen Session. This is Patrick Lillis, and uh, thank you for listening. Glad you're here. Glad you're okay. Hope everyone's doing all right. Uh, happy holidays for whatever holidays you're celebrating. Uh, congratulations on making it towards the end of 2020. Uh, it's an accomplishment. Just the idea of uh, surviving is good and, and getting through this period of isolation. I'm, I think I'm thinking about that because I'm optimistic that there's a vaccine getting out in the world gives me hope, hope that we'll all be able to get to do theater in a way that we, you know, <laughs> enjoy it. Not that, not that I don't enjoy all the Zoom theater and online work and I'm inspired by it, but I, I miss being in the same room with people and collaborators and you. Um, so I hope you guys are, uh, everyone's doing well and, and uh, excited to, for the turn the next phase of whatever this period is that we are in. Uh, today, my, my guest on the pod is Andrea Diamond. Andy is a director. She lives in Chicago, uh, also a dramaturg and a, and a great developer of new work. And I met her probably more than a maybe a dozen years ago. She directed a reading of a play of mine when she worked at Victory Gardens in Chicago. And just a great person, joyful, smart, and she'll say this in the interview, which I really appreciate, and that's really just a strong sense of self, and loved talking to her. also loved it as I was talking about building a early career artist, and she used this, you know, she talked about looking at it as a job and never thought of it as a career, and I think the reason it resonated with me is I think during the pandemic, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, we can't, the career makes it seem like there's a path and the pandemic's made it so clear that there's not a path and that we, you know, it's not one path. Certainly if there's, there's jobs and we keep doing it at this, at this moment during this isolation, it's doing whatever we can, you know, that's offered to us that makes sense for us. And um, I'm more aware of the fact that like, yeah, it's, she's built a great career, uh, in my opinion, and it's through doing the work. And I think that's the, the best thing that we can all keep doing is doing the work. And another thing I'm gonna to touch upon, is it, I'm thinking about this period, I had a friend of mine asked me if they should do their play, they have a play that they're very excited about, and they had it for about, you know, out in the world for a little bit before the pandemic, you know, and it wasn't getting produced, uh, but it was getting interest, and then, you know, somebody wants to do it now online at the pandemic, and do you wait, do you not? And it was it was an interesting conversation because I thought, I think whatever work gets done during the pandemic, and this is my opinion, you know, it's not official or anything like that. I don't think it precludes any new play being done as a world premiere in person. I think it's, I think it's a different thing. And I'm talking about it because I, I think when we're thinking about like, oh, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? And I think, you know, it's a, it's just amazing that we're able to create and get to work, which is one thing, out. But but to get work out in the world and to build any awareness at this time, uh, you know, that's an accomplishment. And it's also comforting. It's comforting to our audience and to our community because unconsciously or consciously, we're just happy to know that new work is happening and that it's getting out there and that it will be my I think my opinion shifted from the last six months, but it will be heard because now it's become normalized and it will be seen and it will be, uh, it's not just something to do to keep us busy. So 
it is how we're working as we're building towards, you know, a body of work to have ready to share in person, if that's the right form, when we're able to do that. Or it's the, you know, it's just, it's an opportunity to keep engaging and entertaining and collaborating with our community. So, yeah, I just, I, I think if you get a chance to do something you care about now, don't wait, you know, you know, wait, if there's a, if, you know, if you have a solid offer or something, it's sure. But I also think we don't know what's going to happen when this is opens up. We don't know if all new plays are going to get done. We don't know if people are going to go back to do the old plays that they had to cancel. We don't know if the, uh, because of awareness and education and learning during this time, the program is going to change. So since we don't know, you know, what we don't know, uh, I'm just going to ins- encourage people to keep keep creating and keep doing, approaching this work the way you would approach that work, you know, build an audience and make as much awareness as you can for what you're doing at this time. And also, like I like to say during the pandemic, if creating and generating new work is overwhelming at this time, just because you've isolated in your apartment and you're concerned about health or anything, finances, uh, then take it easy and, you know, be good to yourself. And uh, with that, I'm going to look forward to sharing the conversation with uh, Andy and I and play ball. How did I come to Chicago? The, uh, (laughs) The company called American Blues Theater had not yet been formed, but Rick Cleveland was one of the best friends of a a guy that I actually was involved with at the time, but we were in college together uh, named Dave Brooks and he was a lighting designer. And so he and Rick and another friend of theirs had taken a bicycle trip across the country and it it had ended up being Rick's first play called um, Buffalo Boys uh, and, and Ed Blatchford ended up being cast in that, which is how he first became involved with those guys. Long story short, and Billy directed it, Bill, Bill Payne directed it. And they, and the next step was they became a company. And for that show, I was living in Cleveland. Dave and I were living in Cleveland. We, he designed it. We literally, we drove to Chicago, built the show, watched a run through, drove back to Cleveland. (laughs) And, uh, uh, and then when Rick, his next play, um, they became American Blues Theater and we drove in from Cleveland. I designed the sound for that. Um, that was called Dogman's Last Stand, which is kind of Rick's first real play. And um, we, D- Dennis Zodchek was in that play. That's when Jim Lemming, I don't know if you know any of these people, but. Yeah, yeah, well, probably. Dennis, sure. Jim, Jim Lemming uh, was also in it and they kind of all, you know, that, that company became a thing. We, but again, we drove in, I put in the sound, they put up the lights, watched the show, drove back. Um, but at the time we were, both thinking about moving to Chicago and um, yeah, it's a much longer story than this. But anyway, I ended up coming here. Dave went to do some internship somewhere and never came here. And um, we, I became a member of the company or the first female member of the company. And I was a stage manager in those days because you could get paid, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, because it was a useful thing. Uh, It turned out to be just a really great way to be in a lot of rooms, you know, watching how it all got done. So, and that company started. I think Chicago has a history of this too. But that that got primarily done to do new plays, to do their plays, right? 
because it was founded by uh, one of the members was a playwright. And so we always were, we were always doing new work. We did Rick's work, but we, you know, did other work um, and not always new work actually, but as it turned out, but it's certainly how I began looking at new work and thinking about new work with a playwright in the room. Yeah. Now I was really, I was curious. I mean, we, we, we met when you directed the reading of my play and I was very grateful for that. And uh, also I was, I was just looking going, cause I knew that, you, went, you were in Cleveland, and I thought, well, you could go anywhere, like your friend who took the internship and didn't go to Chicago. Mm. How did that happen? And then how did you become a director for new plays? Well, you know, they, it, was, it, it seemed a natural thing to do, again, as I was in a company that had a playwright in it. Um, but then I, I, I was a stage manager for some years, and, and then when I decided... Um, I, I was directing, but you know, in Chicago, and I don't know if this is everywhere, but certainly in Chicago, people are going to call you to do the thing they know you do. So I had to stop. I was a union stage manager by that time. So I had to stop doing that and um, kind of push to just direct. And, you know, I, there, it was a town full of, still is a town full of playwrights. And so I just began to know people and do readings with people. Um, and then, of course, having been around the old Victory Gardens with all the multiple spaces was a place where the entire community tended to cross you know, through that lobby it was kind of an amazing experience as I think back on it at one point or another. And so, you know, I started to work with these persons and these other persons, you know, whatever, these different people. And and then um, the opportunity to work on the staff at Victory Gardens came up. So I guess it was kind of accidental that it, that I began to do all almost all new work. But uh, there's a company called Impact that I work with a lot, but that's, and that's also a playwright driven, a new works company and it's a um does african-american centered work completely so i did a lot of new work with them and with those playwrights uh but then as i say victory gardens became the kind of the place i always was one way or another and then marcy mcveigh said why is it that you don't work for us <laughs> you know not as a director but on the staff and i began to work in the administration and then um had the opportunity to to get a grant through the New Generations grant or Next Generation, I can't remember what it's called anymore, uh, the, the New Generations grant through TCG. And that kind of was a game changer. But, you know, interestingly, by that time, I'd already been working in theater for, you know, 15, 17, forever. You know, I think it was like 17 years, honestly. And it was, interestingly, or at the time, the first time anyone ever said, and this, to this day, I was like, wow, really? They said, so what is it that you want for your career? What kind of, and I, I'm a Midwesterner. I work for a living. I literally had never thought about the fact that I'd been working almost 20 years in theater as being my career. It would just wasn't a word that I used, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Um, it's a job. I'm working. It's my job. This is what I do. I work in the theater. And, uh, and that was just kind of mind blowing to think about it in a, you know, to change the frame of how I thought about what I did. Uh, and, and I've never worked harder in my life on writing a grant and happily got it, which, which gave me a, a good opportunity at, at VG to direct for the first time on their main stage and to kind of uh, get what turned into kind of a journeyman experience of running. Dennis took great, <laughs> I think, pleasure in using the word mentee all the time because <laughs> uh, it was a mentorship. Um, and he and just in his voice, that was just hilarious to hear. But yes, it was a it was an opportunity that kind of really made it clear to me what I had been doing and how it was shaping up. And also 
as I say, to put it in a particular frame. And how, when, interesting, what did the grant do for you? Because did, were you already working at VG? Yeah, but not as a director. I was working. Right. Was so how did the grant, how did the grant change from staff to like, hey, you can direct on the stage? How did the grant? What became that? specific to the grant was the opportunity to direct on the stage. I mean, it was about mentorship. It was about learning or, or being allowed to encourage and supported and doing X. And you wrote, I wrote the grant so that part of it was that I would, and it's funny because when I was first writing it, I hadn't necessarily thought to put that in there, but I was encouraged by them. Uh, you know, don't you want to, don't you want to make that? And I was like, yeah, I, I actually do. <laughs> and, and it became, I mean, I was a literary, I, you know, I, it's, it was a New Works Theater. So it was a very <laughs> multifaceted grant. I did a lot of reading of plays and helping with, but it was about being kind of a journeyman artistic director. I, there was an associate artistic director, of course, in Sandy Chinner. Um, but learning the whole job and part of it was being in the room for everything and also and also directing, you know, and juggling tasks while you, you know, not not necessarily being able to withdraw from the entire world while you while you directed, but making it part of the central to the to the job. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, I think the grant actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it, the grant's perfect for like bringing you in, like you said, being part of everything, which is what you want to do if you're going to run a theater someday, but also just understanding everything about the art and how it happens and how business decisions are made, let alone artistic decisions. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I have to ask, it's such a great thing. How did, just the fact that she said, hey, you're always here, how do you not work for us? Like, you know, there's a lot of people in Chicago that don't work there, you know, or didn't work there, you know, yeah. so what what how were you i'm curious how were you forming that relationship and and it can be simple it can be just hey i'm nice and i'm personable and i work a lot <laughs> I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go with that <laughs> but i honestly because well first of all it was eons ago so and as i said i wasn't a per, i wasn't thinking about how to build a career which is probably a failing on my part but it, i wasn't i i i did work a lot and i also knew, you know, it is Chicago, certainly then, and I think still to a great degree, but certainly then was very much a everybody knows everybody kind of community. And, and you know, you kind of find yourself lifting a hammer here or jumping in to help somebody out there, you know, and yeah, I, I, I cannot say exactly how it happened. Um, but, you know, Marcy is also, Marcy is also just a wildly personable human being talk to everybody anybody always and um and i and i can't say exactly how it happened it just it just was one of those conversations i i i can see where i was standing in the building but i honestly can't say exactly what i was doing <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I i think i was working for reggie for impact at the time i think i was doing something with them and they have had almost their entire 30 year experience in the victory gardens old building and so they have had a long relationship and I yeah I think it just just happened that way yeah it's pretty great and and the American Blues Theater kept it kept going did that become uh American, American Theater <laughs> Company yeah yeah, well, <laughs> yeah it's still there is there is still an American Blues but what happened was uh and I I'd left by this time but it was American yeah. Blues we built a theater um, 
I left after some board tumult, which is kind of your usual tale. And, um, and I'd been the, the artistic director there for a couple of years, co-artistic director and artistic director. And then uh, they, they changed the name to American Theater Company because they said, I mean, I wasn't in the conversations, but the word on the street was, you know, we, we it's true that people would often ask about music, right? Because the blues was in the, but that hadn't kept us from doing what we did. So I, I don't know. I think somebody just decided they wanted to do that. Um, but then after some other tumult, some many years later now, um, a, a group of the company left, left, it split and went to become American Blues again, took back the name. And then there was an American Theater Company still in our old building, which annoyed me since I built that building. But anyway, <laughs> um, they, but then that company's gone now after other kinds of tumult. So that, that the American Theater Company doesn't exist anymore. And that theater isn't a theater anymore, which makes me sad. That is sad. Being the mentee in that position, what did it help? Because you took, mainly when you said it helped because you started directing and I know you directed numerous Chicago premieres, world premieres at Victory Gardens. What else from that relationship or that role or that grant, like what do you think it did when you thought about it as your career? Like one of my things is that's the thing that happened and you got it by applying with their help, right? They said, you should apply for this. We want to help. Well, I said I should apply for this and they were like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then help. No, no, I found it. And I was like, okay, this is the thing. <laughs> and I ran around to everybody and said, I'm going to apply for the, in the, in the company, you know, in the admin yeah. and said, I'm going to apply for this. What do you think? And they were, they were wildly supportive. True. But I had to. I worked really, really hard with a lot of long conversations, um, some of which were challenging because you know, being clear about what it is you're trying to do is always the hardest part, right? And you know, to write an effective grant and also to make sure that what you're going you're going to get to do what it is you say that you you want to do. You know. You mean making? Um, but it changed. I mean, it did, go ahead. I know it, it just changed the trajectory of things, I guess, or maybe it it put me on a trajectory a little bit. Um, it got me out of being just just doing the administrative kind of work back into you know or, or into making plays on a on a on a little bit higher scale i mean it you know as dennis used to love to say that streets weren't paved with gold but but it was you know i did have the opportunity to work with some actors immediately that were like in the first production i did there it was kind of a dream cast for me i mean um uh, ac tony smith and and um, Sherilyn Bruce and I mean and this is some years ago I mean obviously lots of years ago now but but it was still these were some of the finer finest actors in Chicago and I got to hire them and part of it was I was at a place where I could pay them you know the scale that etc right yeah um, so that was so it kind of changed the the conversations I could have with people about doing work you know, and that, and and as well as giving me the specific opportunities to to do it on a stage with a little bit of money, comparatively. So that was nice. Nice, and and when it gives you that platform, then you're still working impact. And uh, I'm wondering how it gets your reach out. How do then people start to see your work and they start to talk to you? And I'm 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 looking at where you've where you've worked in other places and thinking about what you've directed a couple times with Clarence Brown, right? Yeah, I mean, and that was a Chicago, that's because Cal 
you know, was a Chicago guy uh, who went out there and um, now, and it still took a long time to go there and then a long time to go there again, which was a fascinating conversation for he and him and I to have like, oh, geez, why has it been 10 years since you've been here? I'm like, I don't know, Cal, why has it been 10 years? You know, that's, um, but I, it did change things, but I will say, you know, that it's interesting when I look at the different, you know, that, that was the second time that that particular grant had been given and it's now been given, I don't know, 15, 20 times or something. Um, and, and it's, there's always a little cadre of people in each grant year. Um, and, and you have the opportunity to meet a lot of people, to go to the conferences, to have some other particular uh, meetings with, with um, artistic directors from all over who are the mentors of the other people in the, you know, and so you, you get to have some good conversations, you get to learn a lot. Um, and sometimes you, you, you know, it, it, it can result in, in more work elsewhere. And I, you know, you have to, when I think back, Again, I wasn't a, a careerist, not using it in a pejorative sense, but um, I didn't, I, I wasn't necessarily saying I need to, you know, go here and do this and build a particular kind of career. That was never my thing. For a lot of my cohort, it, it was, and they have very different types of careers um, to their, to their great credit. And I, and I, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it changed. It changed my my work and my opportunities uh, in a great way, and probably could have done more. But I mean, I got to travel a lot of places. I got to go to South Africa because of this thing. They gave us. Um, I was curious about that, like how? Because I I listened to the inter the post show conversation interview after the island, um, and you said you got to go to South Africa for the 10th anniversary of democracy. And how did that come about? My God, where did you listen to that? You'll have to tell me later. Uh, <laughs> at the end, near the near the end of the grant period, they, out of nowhere, they they said, "Look, you, we're going to give you X amount of money to put towards <laughs> if you have any student loans." So that was nice. Um, and where would you like to travel? Is there somewhere you would like to go? I can't remember what the wording was exactly, but, you know, is there somewhere you would like to go and why would you like to go there? <laughs> you know, and that was kind of it. And so I kind of wrote up a little thing and said, I would like to go to South Africa because I've never, because I, I truly believe in the power of stories and storytelling to affect our world. And there is no place, and certainly at that time, there was no place where that was clearer um, than in the theater that was done during apartheid that I think helped to bring down those walls. And so I put a trip together and they paid for it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> they, I put a trip together and, and got to go to uh, Johannesburg and to Cape Town and to went around and interviewed um, various people who were running those, the main, you know, the big theaters, the market theater. The, and, and I happened across, you know, when I made the plan, it wasn't because it was the 10th anniversary of democracy. It just happened to be, which was also a fascinating thing to be there in that moment. I also was there while the Olympic torch was going through Cape Town. So that was kind of wild, you know. And just coincidentally, I was in Cape Town when John Connie was in rehearsal there. And I had met him in New York when he'd uh, uh, written a play. Nothing but the truth. Nothing but the truth. And I, I had I'd written to him and uh, told him I would, you know, asked him if I could come and say hello. And I so I went to New York and we saw the play and said hello and talked for a few minutes and said I thought I'd be in South Africa. And he said, well, if I'm there, look me up. He happened to be in rehearsal. 
and I actually wasn't able to track him down, but I'm walking through the lobby of the theater where he's working. He was there and he's like, sit down, let's talk. It was, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of fantastic. So a lot of serendipity, I guess, for some of the kind of most wonderful moments. In yeah, I, I want to say serendipity, but it's also about clarity of asking for what you want, right? I mean, you're like, oh, I want to go to South Africa, but also... I got lucky. I saw that play at Lincoln Center and I got lucky because someone else who's much smarter than me sent me. Um, ah, and then I learned who John Connie is and, 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 learned, and learned about the play and then learned more history. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm grateful to this day that I saw that play because uh, it opened up, just opened up my mind and a little more, a lot more information in the world. How did you know to write to that, write and say, Hey, I'm going to come see you. <laughs> I just wanted, I, yeah, I don't know that I knew to do it. I just really, really, and it's not something I've done ever be, I mean, I honestly, in my life really, but I was very interested, as I say, in, in theater that was powerful in its specificity and it's, you know, and in, in, in making political action possible or supporting political action. Um, and, and of course, uh, Connie was, you know, f was very instrumental in all of, of Fugard's work. And so I just had been reading and rereading and, you know, and South Africa was very much on my mind because it's the only place that, that in so many ways mirrors what I, our, our country, strangely, um, not absolutely, obviously, but, uh, and, and being younger and a little closer to my more uh, revolutionary days, I was just, yeah, it just seemed to me that it might be worthwhile. And that, and I think that grant also made me think in terms of go ahead, take an action, you know, um, something good could happen. Yeah, and it's amazing. And I'm curious, yeah, I think it's great to take the action. And I think it's funny when you say it, because I think when I'm younger, I was much bolder about about who I'd reach out to and be like, hey, I'm in, I, I want to come to your town and I want to have coffee, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which and, is, I mean, but why not? What do you got to lose? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's funny. I don't know if I'm, if I was bolder than I am now. I, I don't know. Um, but I certainly in that moment was more, was more actively interested in how I could make something work for me. And actually that's not quite true, but I certainly went through a period after that of being much less I don't know, m much much more kind of ensconced in what was happening where I was and less in what's happening out there and what, what can I do to kind of bring it to me or bring myself to it or something like that. Now, the thing about going to South Africa is going there, all I've thought about since is how I can go back. You know, it, it was really an eye-opening experience in a million ways, a million, million ways. And, and also just a beautiful, just a beautiful country and, and huge. Like you look on the maps, that we look at you don't realize it it is just amazing it i, I took a train from johannesburg to cape town because i love trains and it took like two days i mean like two and a half days to get down there it was a trip you know and i had no no idea but it also was a chance to meet some people who and and learn some things kind of on the ground about how how people experience each other there i will ask you know when you sit down with him in the lobby and he says yeah let's talk you know it was that since it was the 10th anniversary of democracy, he talked politics. He talks about what was happening and what was not happening. He talked about how things were not um, rolling out in the way that he'd hoped and that you would see, you know, he's talking about the 
sitting in the, um, I don't know if it was parliament or, um, but just watching many of the commissioners and just not paying, you know, not paying attention, dozing, being, being, he, he was really kind of disgusted with how people weren't really taking on the charge to make deep, uh, changes. Um, so he, I mean, he, so he had, he had, he just had a lot to say about that. I guess it was much on his mind, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and then, and, and I, and I said, well, I don't want to hold you. He's like, oh, they won't start till I get back. <laughs> and he was like, we, he literally talked to me for about half an hour or something. And it was really, it was, it was kind of a great experience. It wasn't kind of, it was a great experience and yeah. um, kind of eye opening as well, as well. It, it just made me think so much about how, you know, there's a first step, you know, look at us, we're going to have an election in a couple of days. That's a first step. If we make that one change, there's still a million things to do. And though, and that's going to be the hard part, right? That is the hard part. And, and uh, well, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about it, when he said that, because I think, right, we're in a, uh, it, it's sort of disappointing that we're in another revolution, right? Because you would, you would think we should have already made progress. That's not that was like, wait a minute, have we made any? Have we made some? Like, what are we doing? And, yeah. and, you're, and you're right, this will drop after the election. So let's, uh, in the intro, hopefully I said that we had a great first step. Um, uh, it's hoping. <laughs> it's hoping. But it is true. But when, then we'll be face-to-face with the second step. And that is that is really the daunting part. Yeah. The yeah, second step and the 100 after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just continuing to show up and do the work. Yeah. And... Um, what what do you? I'm jumping, but it's going to tie back into what we're talking about. What do you What are you working on besides? I know you're giving the tour in a little bit, um, but what do you What are you working on now? And 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 I know the pandemic is shutdown is affecting everybody, but what are you working on now? Um, well, with Impact, we've been doing some radio plays, so doing going back and doing some um, some re reinterpretations or radio interpretations of some plays that we've done before. So. Um, I'm, I've done one of those and I'm going to do another one um, in a couple of weeks or actually, actually around Christmas, I guess. Uh, I have somebody, somebody asked me if I was interested in doing uh, the gin game. Don't know why, but you know, why not? <laughs> but with two people who aren't even on the same continent. So like this is going to be a Zoom experience. So that's kind of crazy. That's cool. Um, I'm, I don't even know what that's going to mean though. I mean, honestly, I don't know what, how we'll do it but but I, we will it'll be fun to figure out i guess uh also going to do um uh, a former student of mine and wonderful very talented playwright colleague who's finishing up her master's at ou is um i'm gonna direct her thesis project also gonna be a zoom thing again don't know what that's gonna mean <laughs> but we're in the middle of casting that or we're gonna be casting that uh in the next couple of weeks we are in the middle, but we're going to do the callback, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so basically kind of exploring what it is what it is to try to make theater on screens. I mean, caveat for me, if it's on screen, it's not theater. I mean, if you're directing it for the screen, you're directing something that isn't. That is, as a friend of mine pointed out, theater adjacent, <laughs> but it's I not. It. Yeah, and... But I, but it's, um, but making something is good, <laughs> you know, being able to make something is good. So, so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like very few people are, you know, able to do live and we sort of have to be intentional just about how are we going to continue to create and tell stories and, 
I like this. I, I like Zoom. You know, you're doing multiple continents. I was proud that we had a ten-person play with six states represented. But you know, you're going a little, you're going a little bigger. Um, but I do feel that. I feel like it's a little bit of a band-aid because we have to, in hopes that it will restore back. I'm feeling like it will at some point. But uh, the question is how long? You know, yeah. when? <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, we can't just wait. You know, it doesn't make sense to just wait. I'm going to ask for my selfishness. How's the audio plays working? Because I'm thinking about that with the farm. I'm actually, I think uh, I've enjoyed the podcast a lot and I'm trying to think what's the best way for people to experience new work. And I'm, I was thinking, Oh, maybe we'll do the radio play. Are, are people, the production's one thing. Are you getting listeners and people checking them out? I don't know. They literally just launched last week and I haven't checked in to see how it's going. Um, you can look them up. It's impact. Look them up and see, see what's there. M P A A C T. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I did listen to the first one at the launch and it was, it, it was, it, it was effective. You know, I heard the story. I, you know, and I happened to remember the play not happened to, of course, I know this was, but it was some years ago, but I'd forgotten how much I liked this play and I liked it again, you know, and I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. So that worked. I'm, I haven't listened to the completed um, version of the play that I'd done, which is called Black and Blue, which is a play that I, um, I just directed, a, I don't know, I guess two years ago now, um, a two-character play about uh, Black police officers in a Black neighborhood and kind of the trauma of the, the experience, both for the community and for them. And, and uh, it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting and powerful piece. I, I, I'd listened to kind of a rough cut of it. And I'm like, all right, we'll see. I haven't listened to the final, even though it's done. I just haven't had time. And, um, I'm really curious because it's a really visceral kind of piece because you're basically on the road with these guys for an entire, you know, day and a day in which, um, it very much something very similar to the release of the Laquan McDonald tape has happened. So a lot a lot kind of pops off in the community. Um, so I'm really curious to see how effective that is. And there's also some intense language and one of the most operatic, wildly frightening <laughs> monologues I've ever heard, I think, in this piece. So um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting without the visual and the experience of connection between the two. We'll you mean connection just in the fact that they're in front of us? Well, I, the connection between the two characters, the visual the, the, between them, but also, yes, with the audience. Um, because part of the, for me, part of the power of that piece is, you know, that this is all, and we did it in very small theater, but this is all in your face. Some pretty heavy, and the, and the audience is often the, um, other, the third character or the the other characters, whether they're that the that the that the um, police officers are confronting or engaging with, and so yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how that's gonna play. So I'll be interested to check it out. Cool. Yeah, I think it sounded good to me <laughs> what I heard, but I just in terms of the overall, you know. Yeah. And, well, I look forward to checking it out because I'm also just now starting to go and listen to audio plays because as I had the idea, I thought, well, I better see if it does what I want it to do because it is a different art form. It's a different craft, you know. Yeah. 
and it's funny because we're not approaching it like radio plays from you know the 1920s it's not like you got a foley guy and you're listening to the walk the feet walk in or the it's not like that it's it's got some red straight stage direction and it's got you know so it's 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 more of a kind of a fully teched reading <laughs> if, if you know what i mean yeah then, no that's what i think i'm aiming for yeah because i don't you know i don't think i need the footsteps and the <laughs> right, right. You know, but it does have music and it does have, I mean, the way we're doing it, but music is very much a part of what they do at that impact anyway, but it does have music and, and that kind of thing, but it doesn't have, you know, and some sound effects, some necessary sound effects, but it doesn't have, you know, we're not trying to say, and they open the door, you know, <laughs> none of that. Good. Um, how do you, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm curious, what do you think, since we both talked, we talked and you were talking about, oh, that was a long time ago, that was a long time ago. And I, what do you think you carry into the room now with you after that you may not have when you were starting this journey? You know, that's so funny because of the, the questions you were saying, yeah, we kind of want to talk about these things. That was the one we're like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, all I could come around to again and again was experience, but that is like the vaguest possible thing in the world. But I, I think, I think maybe, huh, I, I think that I don't, I think I have more patience. Well, I'm not a patient person at all, but I, but I, I think I must, have, I think I have more patience. It's easier for me to be patient um, in terms of making more space for people to get where they need to go. Um, um, whether we're talking about, you know, just re during rehearsal or, or, or even in, in production meetings and things, I just think, I, I think I probably have a little bit more patience or, or more, or I'm better at having patience. I don't know if I actually have more patience, but I'm better, but I'm better at having patience. I think, um, I, I honestly cannot say that I, I, that I've ever felt that I had anything to prove. I always thought that, okay, I, I, because I've never, I'm not a, I've never been insecure about my own power, so to speak, you know, which isn't to say I ever thought I was, you know, like I'm a power wielding maniac, but I, but I honestly have never felt insecure about thinking, yeah, I, that I would be able to get what I wanted done in the end, if you know what I mean, which isn't to say, you know, you always get what you want. I'm just saying, I don't, I don't feel like I, I, you know, I think a lot of people might say, well, I have less to prove. Well, I, I never felt that I had anything to prove. So I don't think that's it. I honestly think the only thing that might have changed is a sense of of being more at ease with being patient. I think yeah, I it's funny. I like that. It's not that I have more patience. I'm just more at ease to trying to have, yeah, acting exactly. as if I have it. <laughs> and the patience is, and the patience is people getting on board or or for people to creating the space for them to be able to collaborate equally or, or, or proactively. Uh, pro probably that probably, I mean, I, I have, because I've had the opportunity to see so many more people and learn with so many more people and teach a lot of people as well. I've had the opportunity to become much more aware of all the different ways in which uh, people have to um, create their own paths to things, you know, all the different ways in which people understand things or fail to understand things. And I, and I am much better at 
I think I'm much better at kind of, well, you know, it's funny. I say to my students, directing students, if you want to figure out, if you want to know how many ways you might have to figure out how to say something, when you walk into your first rehearsal, look around the room, count the number of people, and that's how many ways you might. And, and, and I say it half jokingly, but I do think that that is one of the things that you need to know is that there, that, that we all bring different things to the table. We're all walking in the room and standing in different points in the room. And therefore we might need totally different explanations or ways into access an idea, a moment, whatever. So maybe, maybe that's it. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's true to realize, like, that's the thing as a director, right, is nobody has to, you know, nobody works one way and everybody works differently. And you, you have to figure out how you're going to work with all of them, you know, together. Yeah, it's I, funny. People think you, you know, directing, you come out of the room. I tell people, you come out of the room. If you've been working all day, an eight-hour day, a six-hour day, you can be exhausted. People are like, what are you doing? You're just sitting there. I'm like, I have been thinking so hard all day <laughs> you know endlessly in a million different ways that is work yeah yeah and <laughs> I, i'm backing up a little bit because i think you just went to undergrad right yeah yeah me too and it was Although every year for like 30 years now i've been thinking hey, maybe i go to graduate school <laughs> hey i'm not kidding i literally am looking at next year thinking maybe, maybe i'll maybe. go to graduate school <laughs> Yeah. You know, and if you want to, but at what point did, it's funny to say, like, when I hear you say, oh, I have nothing to prove, because I do, that confidence is great, and to have that, but at some point, when did you start directing? Did you, did you do it? Because when I hear I showed up with that, I built that show, I sound designed that show, I stage managed that show. At what point did you say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to be this, the director? Well, you know, I direct, <laughs> you don't know. I directed the first show I ever directed when I was like 12 in junior high school. So, and and my family uh, will tell you in a minute that I was telling people what to do, you know, when I was five. So I never, I, always, I think I always wanted to be director. Now, I didn't ever want to make theater. I always wanted to make movies. I, I mean, as a kid, I was, I did theater because you could do theater, but I never thought I would have a life in theater. I was building American Blues Theater and having a conversation and saying, oh, I guess, I guess, I, I guess theater is what I do. I just had this conversation with Bill Payne, actually. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess this is what I do. And uh, <laughs> it just takes a little while to realize that. Yeah, because you're doing, because you're just working, right? And, uh, and also, when we were kids, it cost, a, it was, there was only film and it cost a bazillion dollars to make a film. Whereas you could make theater for $1.98. And that is exactly what we did for a very long time, you know, with six coffee cans and, you know, back, certainly back in when I first came to Chicago, the first things that we did were in little tiny, tiny storefronts, you know, where that were grimy and barely theaters at all. But it was also a very exciting time in Chicago where the off-loop theater thing was exploding. Um, Sam Wolf had, had just done uh, Balm and Gilead in New York. You know, I mean, things were happening. And so you would go into these little holes and people would pull up in, you know, very fancy cars and drag their furs in because they thought maybe someday they'd see, you know, Malgovich before he was Malgovich or something like that, you know? 
Right, everything was alive with excitement. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, it really was. And, uh, and it, so it's just a natural progression. You're like, I'm, I'm 12, I'm in Chicago, <laughs> I should direct next. And it was just, but that's really, it does sound like that. It sounds like it was natural to do. Like that's what you were gonna yes. do. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And it's funny, yeah, again, because I don't think I was ever consciously thinking about doing it, but it was the thing that I was going to do. You know, I, I always, but but the other thing that was happening or, or what's begin to happen very quickly was the independent film thing would be popping off um, in the 90s, right? And uh, so there was a lot of that happening in Chicago as well. And the, it was all kind of connected. And yeah, yeah, I'd always wanted to be a director, but I'd always thought about film. Um, but it seemed logical because I was involved in theater and that's where actors are that that's what I would do there first, I guess. Yeah, I want to want to say I've now, yeah, I share that with you. It's funny, I think, you know, we're within the same age, if not exactly. And uh, I thought, yeah, I can do theater in, a, in an empty room. I don't need film and editing and equipment and, right. you know, and- uh, Just tell the story and we did, you know, and we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, when you're talking now, I'm going to ask about the teaching part. When you're, what do you, what are you talking to your students about at this moment? During, I feel like at this moment, meaning there's two things happening, right? There's uh, one is a pandemic, and so what are you, what are you talking about on focusing or getting them to? Yeah, what do you? I don't even want to answer the question before I ask it. How are you keeping them motivated and focused, and what are they motivated on? Well, you know, it's strange. Right now, I'm not teaching any majors, except I'm teaching beginning directors this semester. Um, so, you know, the, the questions are a little bit different. They're not talking, thinking about making lives in theater. Although these, some of the directors might, but I don't, you know, they're, they're so early in what they're yeah, doing so right young. now. Um, I did just talk with a classroom of advanced directors for, for at University of Minnesota Duluth on a Zoom call with Bill Payne, who teaches up there, and he was the chair of that department till recently. Um, and, you know, I I think any young artist, <laughs> any young director, any young theater maker, um, honestly, I think it's really about what you can, what you can see in the world to and, and bring to yourself to enrich kind of your experience of every day, because that's what you will be taking with you. And so it's kind of like Bill was talking to me about freelancing. Yeah, there's long periods of time <laughs> when you're not working. Um, so what do you do? It's kind of like now. Um, I think for me, I kind of go out of my way to make sure that I'm paying attention out in the world so that I don't miss moments uh, that can up, that of uplift, you know, moments of beauty, very, very, kind of day-to-day -day moments, whether it's kind of the look of my city, you know, I'm looking up the river at something and the sky happens to be a particular color. I'm going up Lakeshore Drive and the waves are crashing in, you know, um, or I tell them, you know, or go to a museum or go do things for yourself, whatever it is that makes you happy. Lately, I've been kind of listening to people read poetry, not everybody, but, you know, only because seeing things, like having a moment to see things differently, to see the world differently, I, you know, to give yourself those opportunities because I keep you or they keep me um, feeling like there are possibilities in the world. You know, it's not all doom and gloom, though we cannot do today what we would like to do doesn't mean we won't ever get to do it. And I think that's really hard when you're young to think about that because 
I remember my experience of being young was, oh my God, whatever's happening now is like, we are doomed to do forever, you know, or I can't take that job. I'll be stuck in that horrible office forever. You know, and of course you won't, but that's how you feel when you're, when you're young, you can't, it's hard to remember that, that there's a lot that stretches before you because you haven't seen that yet, you know? And so that's kind of the thing. And also that for young, for young directors in particular, young theater makers that success looks all kinds of ways you know i think that we also sometimes can mess ourselves up by thinking we by being comparative about what we're doing comparing ourselves to other people um and also not seeing the opportunity that can be found in places you didn't even think to look uh, and so um i guess being open being open-minded and not creating prisons for yourself i guess you know, yeah, I think, well, it's interesting, even you talked about the early grant and saying like, oh, those cohorts all have different careers, you know, and like everybody's journey is different. And, right. uh, and I love, you know, and I think you're, you're right, we can especially right this moment, right, what, what a career looks like and what our work looks like is completely different than any of us would have imagined. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I'm hoping, uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can call it a career and moving forward. Um, well, we will all have learned something, you know, it will have, it will have contributed to what it is that we know and the tools that we can use. So, I mean, that has, that has some value. It, it, it does. And I, I love going back. It's very funny. Cause when you said, how did you hear that interview? But I have no idea. I was just searching around to go. No, like, what interview? What are you even talking about? That is a post-show discussion that you did when you did the play and they recorded it. And I forget what theater it was at even. And it was just, it was, I was just like fishing around and I thought, oh, let me see what this is. And, uh, you know, and you said my favorite thing, which is what directors have to ask, which is why this play today, you know, and... Still. It's still, you have to, right? I mean, that's the question, because oh, if you're going to bring it, it has to have an immediacy to it. And I feel like in the, just what you said about the world, like it's going to change, like it's not all doom and gloom. It is, it may feel that way, but things are going to change. And I think that's <laughs> why, that is why we tell the stories, right? Is to create that change. Yeah. Um, yeah, to speak to that change, whether we're speaking to the need for it or, or the, the, the process, you know? Or the results, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or the yeah, the the the, or what the next step needs to be. I'm I'm curious with the with the movement and awareness and and the, and the feels like the consciousness of equity, inclusion, diversity that's happening. I'm curious what you see in Chicago theater that's taking is. It, it's a weird time to say, is anything taking action? Is anything, are you seeing results because, or is there a, as much of a need as there is everywhere else, but uh, because it's a pandemic, so there's not a lot happening. So I'm curious how it's impacting the theater scene that you're seeing or, or even the training programs, anything. Yeah, I mean, it's early to say. I, I, I think that right before the pandemic hit, you know, you saw a lot happening in the wake of the protests and so on. Um, the protests before, I mean, that were already beginning before we, we locked ourselves up here. Um, I don't know what will happen. And I, and I, and I, I think you're getting the kind of conversation in the Chicago community that you're getting everywhere. Um, speaking as someone who's heard an awful lot of these conversations, I will be interested to see if there is actual fundamental change. I think 
I think it's too early to know. I think uh, there are people who are very interested from all camps in there being real change. Um, but that doesn't mean, uh, I, we'll have to see if people really have the stomach for what it means to make those changes. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's going to mean gutting certain kinds of certain systems. It's going to mean people, this is the hard part, people stepping aside to make way and give place to others. And uh, that's a real challenge um, to really do that as opposed to say, as opposed to saying, um, you know, as many kind of diversity programs have done, we're going to make, we're going to make this place for you, but then we're going to make all the decisions about what it is you do in that place, you know? And so that's a very, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. And, and I mean, that's kind of America right now. Are we really, really, really going to look to make fundamental change? I don't know. Um, I think it's the only thing that will in the long run save us not to be too dramatic about it, but, um, but, but in the short run, I, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, it's hard to hear. It's hard to hear when you've heard a million, million times of people's intentions, you know, the road to hell and all of that. Right. So. <laughs> well, yeah, I was, I'm asking, cause I do think it's hard in the pandemic to know if we're seeing action or not. We're seeing, I have a phrase that's like, you know, saying to a friend of mine, don't, don't tell me what you're going to do. Tell me what you did. You know, because because I feel like we have as we started about talking about revolution and change like we've seen this earlier and I'm but I was curious I feel like uh, you know Chicago's interesting because it's like this it is sort of the the original I mean New York somewhere or whatever but when you came the storefront theater the come start your own company feeling of this community and and I'm like right it's that grassroots thing that then grows and I'm like oh I, how does Chicago have to how do you keep that spirit going and continue to be inclusive growing equitable for all well I think the one thing that is happening everywhere is a is is a shake-up because the ground is you know the rug's been pulled out from under everybody and so the exciting part is that it is possible in this moment to rethink everything because we have to rethink everything. The question is, what will it look like, <laughs> you know, when, when, when we rethink it and that's from top to bottom, you know, our economy, you know, all of the, all of the buildings that are going to be, you know, all the space that is going to be available because companies have been working out without using it. And many of them have already said, we're not going to use this space. We don't need it. So what does that mean? I'm just talking, but you know, it means there could be space to create all kinds of cultural incubators if you could get the powers that be to allow that to happen, you know, because you can't charge what you charge, you know, the, the, the rich people or the, you know, the big companies for that space. But if it's just going to sit there, why not let it be used for something at a fraction of the cost? The problem of course is among many, I'm sure that, you know, writing off the space is sometimes something people prefer to do rather than let it be used without making top dollar for it. And that's, there are a lot of neighborhoods all over this city where you're like, why are these storefronts empty for the last 10 years? Because that guy can write that off. Yeah. And so again, there's just fundamental challenges to, to really being able to think creatively about what's possible in the cities everywhere. And certainly in the cultural community, it's no different. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's funny. I've been having conversations with people who are 
landlords in New York, and that's the write-off thing they talk about. I'm like, well, at some point, it's always better to do something. And if you're going to invest in the city coming back and being rejuvenated, then let us create opportunities for people to gather and create and create that's opportunities. That's the question. Will we invest in each other? Will they invest in the community? Will they invest, or are they just investing in their own pockets? Because that's where we are. That's why we are where we are. Because the thing that has been most elevated is just about one's own, you know, getting ahead in your, you know, your own pocket, your own, and not the community that you're in, not the society that you're in. That, and that's our challenge, right? How do we, how do we change that? You know, I feel like we should all go back and watch a bunch of the old Westerns where you could see the individual and the society facing off and where the good guy generally was with the society, like in the end, <laughs> even if he had to be dragged over there. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to, I actually have to go and watch some more of those to see if that really holds up. But that's how I feel about them. That's the fundamental American question, right? The individual versus society. That is it. I, I think. That is it. Yeah. And, you know, and since we're in a collaborative art form, we, we I like to, I personally like to invest in each individual in the story and that their voice matters. But it's best when I'm working with a community to tell that story. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I mean, but that is an investment. If you invest in each individual, you are investing in society. You know, that's, you know, as opposed to investing only in yourself regardless of what happens in the society, you know? Right. So you can't make theater if you do that. Uh, I mean, I guess some people can, but generally speaking, you cannot make theater if you only do that. <laughs> um, and if you want to make theater, why would you? I, I'm always surprised, but if you, if that you would choose to be in a world where the point is the community, um, you know, making something with people, if that's not how you feel about it. Yeah. But, that's another conversation. That's another one. So on that, because I'm going to let you go, but in case you, well, you talked so much and you said great stuff, but if you had anything, since I sent the question, if you thought of any advice you wanted to bestow, I feel like I should ask that. And you may have already said it. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just be, be open to the possibilities, you know, and, 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 and keep your eyes open in the world. I honestly think that that's it for the moments of beauty and power because they're revelatory. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for the conversation. And uh, it's just great to reconnect with her. She's uh, I love how she has a strong sense of self and also this unassumingness. I just like the idea of like, oh, I went to South Africa and I met with John Connie and, you know, it's, it's coincidence, but it actually was out of that, seeking that out, uh, that relationship out and by sending an email. And I also like that we were talking about how we both did that more earlier in our career. And I think it is important to reach out and just say, hey, I, love to talk to you. I'd like to know what's going on, or I'm going to come see your play. I'm in your town. And I love that spirit. And I also like at the end about investing in an individual is investing in the community. And thought that part of the conversation was great and, and true. Uh, you know, the farm is looking at, you know, stuff like our website and communication. And I was really, you know, doing this workshop 
as an organization who's helping us do that. And, um, you know, it's just talking about like, what do we do? And I'm like, oh, we really invest in the, the individual. And that's what we want to be doing. And, uh, and happy got, got nice opportunities to do that this month. Actually, we had our online, our grad school audition workshop, which was online, which was nice because we got to work with people in all parts of the country, some of our college collaboration partners, uh, students graduating there that are going on to grad school, uh, participated, friends of the farm out in Denver participated. Um, it was just nice to be able to reach a wider audience. And and also we did a playwriting program online and it was nice to give a couple of farm writers a chance to teach. And we got to work with uh, high schools upstate New York, which we wouldn't have gotten to do, but it was it was nice because I think about that class. It's funny. I sorry about investing in the individual, and my first thought is like, oh, give somebody an opportunity to teach. But the second thing is, when you think of the class, you know, you think of your whole room, but but you really are investing in each one of those people in that room, and that's what you know makes it special is you get to see their growth. And I think. There was something, I think Andy saying that and Lisa in the episode before saying, oh, invest, do something for someone else. And I think it's a great thing to do at this time, especially, you know, not only because it's the end of the year and holidays and things like that, but because uh, we are so isolated. It's great to just check in with people and say, what do you need? Or not even ask and just do because we're looking for ways to get outside of our, I'm looking for a way to get outside of my isolation. So one way is to do something for someone else. And it, that investment in that focus, that investment in someone else and taking that focus off yourself is, it's, for me, it's healthy and it really helps. And um, yeah. So, you know, I think that's a good thing to think about as I come towards the end of our year here still continuing season three of the bullpen session and looking forward to sharing more conversations with you, but, you know, continue to look at like, how are we investing in the individual? And with that, something we've added in our newsletter is to email us, uh, email me, Patrick at the farm theater.org and let us know where you're at. What do you need at this point in your development as an artist? Uh, or what do you want to share? Uh, open to that as well. And, um, with that, I hope, you know, one thing you can share is you can share the podcast if you find it uh, useful or interesting or just enjoy having somebody in your ear for an hour while you go for a walk. You know, let people know. Go to iTunes. Give it the five-star rating. That helps people find it. And um, all of that. And, you know, mostly just uh, enjoy yourselves. Take care. Do whatever you need to stay healthy uh, in all ways. And with that, we're out.